Father, we thank you that through all that we have encountered and endured this week, that you have been with us. You have promised us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And today, Lord, we take you at your word. We trust in you because you are trustworthy and you have never failed us. We put our faith in you because you are faithful. And we depend on you and declare our dependence today. Because you have always been dependable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is good. All the time. Not so many years ago, a popular book swept across the uh, Christian bookstores here in the United States. Remember, it was a little bitty book, sold a lot of copies, an obscure prayer from the Old Testament, prayed by a guy whose name many of us had never given uh, much thought to. His name was Jabez. You remember the prayer of Jabez? It was a bestseller, and today I want to teach you another prayer, which I am entirely confident will never become a best-selling book. After you hear me preach, you'll understand why. Uh, Because if it did, it would defeat the purpose of the prayer. Also from a relatively obscure Old Testament person, this prayer comes in many ways much closer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray than the prayer of Jabez. And because of that, I think it deserves our attention. I'm taken with these verses. They arrested me as I read Proverbs Chapter 30 on June the 30th, as we were reading through the book of Proverbs together. And now I want to share with you what God is teaching me in hopes that it will have something to do with you. Let's open God's word together today and hear the prayer of Augur. Have you heard of the prayer of Augur? I'm guessing not. The prayer of Augur. This is the second in our study of seven deadly sins. We will study the sin of greed. Let's stand together to Read God's word, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. Listen closely to this prayer. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You may be seated. This is the only first person prayer in the book of Proverbs. We know that Solomon is mostly responsible for the book. Fortunately, he was not the only wise person of his day. He had great wisdom, but so did a man named Augur. So much wisdom that he was included in the 30th chapter. It's sort of a wrap-up of the whole book. We know it, it ends with chapter 31 and that wonderful tribute to the godly wife. But I was intrigued as I read this to see the spirit of a man named Augur. God has always had godly people in every culture, in every civilization, in every church. Somebody who just has a heart for him. And I think Augur was that kind of person who had a heart for God. So he begins with humility and says, I don't know a lot. I don't know a lot. Uh, this Augur son of Yake, he had a friend named Ithiel whom he talked to, who talked to Ugal. We don't know any of these people. But what we do know 
is that as he begins to speak, he speaks with some wisdom when he says God's word is perfect and nobody should add to or subtract from God's word. It it sounds, doesn't it, like the end of the book of Revelation. And then he says, I trust God to protect me. God, you are our protection. And that's a good place to be. But his declaration of dependence does not stop there. He goes on to say, God, I'm only asking you for two things. And for a couple of weeks now, I've been reading this and thinking, well, the first thing is, don't let me lie. And the second thing is, give me my daily bread. But as I've read it more closely and had ample time to study while we were up in Canada and read a number of different commentaries, I've come to the conclusion that, that really he's not asking as it sort of looks for three things while he says two things. But here's what we need to see in the text. That he says, God, I'm going to ask you for two things. And then parenthetically says, and by the way, God, search my heart because I don't want to lie right now. I want to come clean with you. I want to tell you the truth. Here are the two things I ask you for. First, God, don't make me poor. Don't let me have poverty, he says. And second, God, don't make me rich. And then in the verse nine, he begins to explain why he doesn't want to be rich and why he doesn't want to be poor. And it's hard to read these verses without seeing what stark contrast and relief they provide to a common perspective in Western Christendom. The idea that we are just so incredibly godly that God had to make us wealthy. The idea that if you are really in the will of God, if you are doing what God wants you to do, you will be healthy, you will be wealthy, and you will be wise all the time. But in fact, what Augur does is show us a very different perspective on that. When he says, don't make me rich and don't make me poor because the last thing I want to do in this world is diss God. I don't want to disown him. I don't want to dishonor him. And what I'd really like is to depend on God for just literally in the Hebrew, the bread of my necessity, what I have to have to live. Doesn't it sound like Jesus prayer? Why does Augur pray this prayer? And why do you and I not know anybody else who prays this prayer? I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by Augur's perspective that, that in fact what we own and what we possess and what we seek in life has serious implications for our relationships with God. We can't afford to miss on this. Augur seems to be urgent about it. He says, Lord, I don't want to be rich. Not in any way saying that if you are rich, you're outside the will of God. That's not the point of this passage. Many of you have been blessed by God and you are stewarding what he has given you very well. And there is a great deal of missions going on because of what God has done in and through your lives. But if you were praying, would you pray, God, make me wealthy? Or would you pray, God, make me poor? Or would you pray as Jesus prayed, give us this day, Augur says, only our daily bread. It is not to say that if you are rich, you're outside the will of God. It is not to say if you are poor, you're outside the will of God. It is to say that when you talk to God about wealth, a good perspective is, God, I don't want what I own or fail to own to negatively impact my relationship with you. So I surrender my resources to the owner of all things, lest I disown you. And I honor you, God, 
Because whatever I do in this life, I never want to take the name of the Lord in vain by dishonoring Him and taking things that belong to others. Isn't this an interesting perspective? Would you pray the prayer of Augur? Would you pray, Lord, don't make me wealthy? Why does he pray that? Because Augur understands that to be wealthy is to experience something of a spiritual test. There's a temptation involved in wealth. Certainly it gives us great opportunity to do good. It also gives us great difficulty and the temptation to do evil. And while there are many people who can handle adversity, there are fewer people who can spiritually come to grips with prosperity. There is wisdom in his words. Lord, don't make me rich. Why? Because verse 9, I might have too much. How much is too much? Does anybody know how much too much is? Anybody know? How do you get too much? John Rockefeller said, if you want to become wealthy, three things you need to do. First, go to work early. Get there before anybody else. Second, stay at work late. Get, Get there early and stay later than anybody else. Third, Find oil. (laughs) You need to find oil. Because if you go early and stay late and you don't find oil, you won't be wealthy. Well, how do you know you have too much? He says, well, it's a spiritual kind of thing. Because the scripture says in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is writing to to Timothy in verse 6 and says to him, you know, you and I must come to understand that godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, if we were content with being godly and having relationship with God, that would be great gain for us. So he says, we'll be content with with food to eat and clothes to wear. What kind of food, we may ask? How, How much clothes? What kind of clothes? No, just with food and clothes. And he says, here's the danger that you might at some point begin to seek after money. And he says, many people have done that and made that their highest goal in life. And when they do, he says... They have forsaken the faith and they have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know anybody like that? I was reading uh, Jewel Whitaker's story this week. Her husband was the one who won the largest jackpot in the lottery in the United States history. To be specific, the largest undivided jackpot, 314 million. Could you live on that? Well, they tried. And Jewel Whitaker, this is a quote, says, I wish... We had never bought the ticket. I wish we had torn it up before we found out that we had won. Because the pain in our lives, in our personal marital relationship, and the pain in the lives of others is not worth the money. Think about uh, the possibility of having too much. How much would be too much? Well, he says, you would have too much if at some point you disowned the owner Of all things. Imagine saying, if I could just have that, you know, it's that sort of if only living. If only I had this, if only I had that, I would be happy. If only, if only, if only. And you, in the process, disown the owner of all things. Melanie and I went up to Canada uh, this week with our students. And and while we were there, we had uh, about 20 hours to get away. They're going up to Banff and Lake Louise today. We didn't have a chance to go today. Obviously, we came back for a wedding and to worship with you. But uh, we went last Sunday about this time. We took off after church and went up to Banff. And that is, if you've been there, you know what I'm saying. One more beautiful place. 
I mean the the river that comes down there, the Bow River and the melted glacier water and the and the uh, what they call rock uh, flower that floats in the water, which gives it that emerald appearance and Lake Louise and the Columbian Glacier and the mountains. And Melanie and I rode a cable car up one ski slope there and looked down and saw a mother grizzly bear with two cubs. All the years I lived in Montana, I never saw a grizzly bear in the wild. Can I just be honest? I never wanted to see a grizzly bear in the wild. But we were up above about 20 feet, so we were safe. And we looked down and the cubs were playing and magnificent moment when we were driving back the next day and I was looking at the Canadian Rockies and not one time did I ever think, I wonder who owns these Rocky Mountains. That never once occurred to me. I never thought, who owns the Rockies? Until later in the week, I was driving up to one of our sports camps to encourage our kids and I was passing by in a neighborhood and saw this realty sign and uh, the, the sign said, selling the Rockies one mountain at a time. And I thought, how do you sell the Rockies? You don't even own the Rockies. Now, how can you sell the Rockies? And I wondered, how much does a Rocky cost? <laughs> and if you owned it, how would you designate it as yours? You know, do your own little personal Mount Rushmore with your face on it. I mean, how do you, how do you make it your own? Because someday it's going to pass to somebody else. And the danger for us is that we might disown the owner because God owns everything. He owns the Rocky Mountains. He owns us. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything I own really belongs to Him as though we ever owned anything. We simply steward things for a while because God owns it all. And Augur says, I'm afraid if I were wealthy, I might disown you. I might forsake the God who has given me life. And beyond that, he says, I might forget God, not just forsake him, but he says, I might say, who is the Lord? Like Pharaoh in uh, Exodus chapter five, verse two, who is the Lord that I should obey him? That we might come to the place that we have so much that we say, God, who? God, who? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And that would be a a dangerous place for us to be. It's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. When God's speaking to his people and saying, you're about to go into the land. And when you get there, you're going to have food to eat because it's a a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant. And your temptation is going to be to say, I deserve this. I earned all of this. I worked hard. I made it for myself, not knowing, verse 17, Deuteronomy chapter 8, write it down, read it this week, not knowing that even the ability to work comes from God. It sort of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? I was reading a book by John Ortberg this week. The book begins with this memorable phrase, my grandmother had just gotten out of jail. Now, wouldn't you want to read a book that began with a statement like that? My grandmother had just gotten out of jail, but she didn't want to get out of jail. In fact, I knew that one roll of the dice and my grandmother who had taught me how to play Monopoly might land on the yellow properties on which stood my hotels. And for the first time in my life, I might be the master of the board. And so I was glad that my grandmother had gotten out of jail and I watched her roll 
And I watched her land on Marvin Gardens and the world belonged to me. All of her money, all of her property. I was the great victor. I had won. And she smiled at me and said those unforgettable words, which are the title of the book. It all goes back in the box. (laughs) You won, but you don't get to keep it. It's imaginary. There is no Marvin Gardens and you don't own it. It all goes back in the box. And then Ortberg goes on to talk about our obsession with boxes and how we accumulate stuff and put them in larger and bigger storage bins and boxes all to the end that someday we will find ourselves facing the final box. And it's hard to admire that box and say, now that's living. (laughs) Do you see the handles on that box? I could put all my stereo equipment in that box. No, you never say that. You've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. In fact, what happens is you, you have to do something with that stuff. Who gets the Rocky Mountains after the people who bought them die? I don't know, but it's, it's a, a curious thing to me that we think we own anything in this world. And Augur at least has the sense to say, I'm afraid, God. Given the fact that I'm not wealthy or poor, he says, I'd rather not be any. I'd rather not be either because if I were, I might disown you and I might not depend on you and I might not say, give us only. Notice how he adds that word. It's a hard word for us. When you're talking to God about stuff, do you ever say, only give me what I need? Only what I need. Give us only our daily bread. Feed me with the bread of necessity, the things I have to have, God, And I will live in dependence on you. Some of you have read the book called The Shack. I don't agree with everything in the book called The Shack. If you want to talk to me about it specifically, email me. I'll tell you what I think. There are some good things in the book. And there may be some not so good things in the book. I'm not sure it's the ultimate heresy. But there are some things I disagree with. But when the writer of the book says the great sin in our lives is independence from God. The writer is exactly right. That you and I would say, God, by our words and actions, we really don't need you. More than money, more than possessions, more than air, more than food, more than water. We need God as though we could live without him who created us for himself. And we are restless until we find rest in him. Don't make me wealthy, God, lest I disown you. God, don't make me poor. I've prayed that prayer. Have you? I've prayed that prayer. The don't make me wealthy part. You know, if wealth is a trial, there have been points in my life. Maybe you could say this today. I know what you you may be thinking. Try me, Lord. I'm ready to take that test. You want to make me wealthy? Okay, God, I'll just I'll plunge right in. Okay, I may, you know, I can do this. But no, but to say to God, don't make me poor. We're a little more comfortable with that prayer, aren't we? Listen to his reasoning. It's interesting. He says, if I'm poor, I might steal. How poor would you have to be to steal? Ever think about that? Ever think, if I were this poor, I would steal. It's hard to imagine that we would ever be so poor that we would steal, isn't it? But then you read uh, Les Miserables and see the play and the movie and you see Jean Valjean who steals a loaf of bread, spends 20 years in a prison camp. Why? Because he didn't have anything to eat. 
You, you see the story again in The Cinderella Man, a more recent movie, not as good, I think, as Les Miserables, but the little boy steals because of the depression, and that's the only way that his family can eat that day. It reminds me of Fiorello LaGuardia, who sat on the, the judge's stand. He was the mayor of New York City, but one day he decided just to go and serve in night court as a judge, and while he was there, a woman was brought in, and they said, we want to throw her in jail because she stole a loaf of bread, and he said, why did you steal? And she said, to feed my family, and he said... I'm going to fine you $20 for stealing a loaf of bread. And, he said, I'm going to fine everybody in this courtroom 50 cents apiece to pay for that $20 so that she will have money not only to pay her fine, but to feed her family. And I fine you, he said, for living in a city where a woman has to steal a loaf of bread to eat. That's an interesting perspective, isn't it? If I were poor, I might steal. Why why do we steal? How poor would we have to be? They asked Willie Sutton, the famous bank robber, why do you rob so many banks? He said, because that's where the money is. I mean, I'm robbing the places that actually have the money. That's where I'm going. And you and I might say, you know, I want more than I have. I feel entitled to more. I deserve better than I have. And live our lives with a deep sense of greed. Not only the wealthy are, are uh, guilty sometimes of greed, but sometimes the poor are guilty of greed. They say, it's not enough for me. What God has given me, my portion is not enough for me. And then we would steal. I was listening to one of our our men this morning after the first service, and he told about fighting in the Battle of the Bulge. You know, Bill Wilkins uh, fought fought in the Battle of the Bulge, was a, a prisoner of war in Germany and all of that. And he talked about after the war was over and they were released uh, just to get bread to eat. He sold his high school class ring. It was gold. And he sold it for six loaves of bread and then somebody stole one of his loaves and having had it stolen he felt abused and misused and he said as they were walking across Germany he encountered one day a person who had two loaves of bread and he knew in his heart of heart he could take one of those loaves of bread from that person he could do it and he said in a moment of deep hunger he was tempted to but he decided not to Listen to Augur. Augur says, if I'm poor, I might steal. And if I steal, listen to this. He doesn't say, if I steal, you know what might happen? I might end up in jail. He doesn't say that. That's not what he's worried about. If I steal, I might have to pay a fine. That's not what he's worried about. He says, if I steal, I might dishonor the name of my God. And his primary concern in life is honoring the name of God. Can I confess to you this morning, that's where I want to be that honoring God and giving him glory is more important than anything in this world I'd rather have Jesus we sang it did we mean it I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today or could we honestly say yeah except that one thing if I could have that one thing I want that even more than honoring the name of God it's a powerful perspective He says, if I have noticed the possessive there at the end, the name of whom? Of my God. What does Augur really own? What do you and I really own except relationship with God? He owns us and we own him. Solomon writes in the Song of Solomon, I am my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. What if the only thing we really possess in this world is our relationship with God? And what if we were not made to possess things, but to be possessed by God? 
to be filled with all the fullness of God, to own the one who owns all things and chose to own us and paid the highest price, not perishable things like silver and gold, but the precious blood of His own Son so that He could redeem us and purchase us and buy us back. And what if more than anything in this world, we knew that to say He is my God is to say that I already have everything I need and to trust him for the bread of the day. Because if God owns everything and if he sent his only son to die on the cross for us, can't we trust him for a slice of bread? Can't we trust him to provide for our needs? So it's not God, make me big. (laughs) Enlarge my territory. Make me important. But God, just give me enough. And if I have you, That's enough for me. Patrick Henry, who uh, lived in Virginia, one of our founding fathers, in his will wrote, one last thing I want to give to my children and grandchildren. After he had divided everything else up, he said, I want to give them faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a Baptist. He might have been any denomination, but he was, after all, a follower of Jesus Christ. And he said, I want to give to my descendants faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because if they have that, even if I didn't give them a penny... They would be rich indeed. And if they don't have faith in Jesus Christ and I left them the whole world, they would be most poor. My friend Calvin Miller preached to our congregation in Austin and he said, To live my life in this world, I have to have God. Do you feel that way? I have to have God. And really, really like to have my wife. And after that, everything, and I mean everything, is negotiable. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the life, the abundant, eternal life that we have found only in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the way that you provide for us. Forgive us, Lord, for our dissatisfaction with your provision. Thank you, Father, that you have blessed us enormously. If the rich young ruler was really rich and he, he never drove a car, he never had surgery, he never had an iPod and he never texted his friends, if he was wealthy, then what are we? And God, I pray today that you would show us what we have in you and that the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the radiant, resplendent light of your glory and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.